All opinions and views expressed on this podcast do not reflect official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the United States government. Hello, airmen, soldiers, sailors, Marines, guardians, and all the rest of you humans out there, and welcome to Engaged, a Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. I'm Chip. And I'm Rafi. And we're here today with our special guest, Erica, who is a military member at Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst, and we're going to be talking about microaggressions and her story as an airman in the United States Air Force. How are you doing, Erica? I'm quite all right today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to glad to have you here. Um, what kind of background information would you like to talk about yourself? Uh, where are you from? Okay, so I'm from Lagrange, North Carolina, which most people don't aren't familiar with. It it's a town with one stoplight, uh, but we just got a bojangle, so we're up and coming. Um, most people are familiar with Seymour Johnson, so I'm probably about 15 minutes outside of uh, Seymour Johnson. Um, let's see what else. Um, I found out you and I have something in common because yeah. you're. That's right. Like I'm from Goldsboro, so I know about that stoplight. Is the Sandpiper still there? Sandpiper, Sandpiper's still there. Oh yep. yeah, right. my parents keep it up and running. Yeah, we found <laughs> this out earlier. It's pretty cool. Uh, our, our high schools are literally a ten minute drive away from each other. Um, pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm the old fart in the room. So like uh, Erica graduated a couple years after I did, and by a couple I mean almost a decade. But oh, no one needs to know that. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us a little bit, uh, not just about Lagrange, because I'm sure you and I could have a whole podcast about uh, Eastern Eastern uh, Wayne County and, and Western Lenore County, Northern Lenore County. We uh, sure could. Yeah, shout out to that area. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead and give us some more background. So uh, I am a nurse. I've been a nurse for 11 years. I started out working civilian, and then I joined the Air Force in 2010. Um, so currently I'm working as a flight nurse contingency planner uh, with the Air Mobility Operations Squadron. Um, it's something that flight nursing is something I enjoy thoroughly. Um, when I first became a nurse, I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't even know I could be a nurse in the Air Force um, until my last semester of nursing school. The Navy, the Army, and the Air Force came and advertised, and I went to the Air Force. <laughs> um, so been doing that for 11 years. Um, deployed a couple times, been stationed at Wright Pat, Kadena, um, good old Pope. And now, um, Joint Base McGuire. Awesome. Any other personal life experiences you'd like to talk about or background, uh, family or, or upbringing around LaGrange? I, I know it's a pretty unique area out there in eastern North Carolina. Um, yeah, well, I'm in country, as country can be. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a big family. Um, mother's one of ten, father's one of four, so I was always surrounded by love, wisdom, um, you know, they say what they say, a smart person learns from the experiences, a wise person learns from the experiences of others. So I had a lot of advice from people. Oh, yeah. Um, I grew up in a family who um, loved fostering. So I had a, I have a lot of foster siblings or siblings, um, not to, to preference it with that word. Um, so I just grew up in a big household surrounded by people, love and things of that nature. I'm a crisis counselor. Um, so I enjoy volunteering. Um, during COVID, crisis counseling is one thing that I was able to do without leaving the house. Um, so I started doing that, and it's something I've been doing to this day. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. 
I know what it was like for me, but I grew up in a military family. Uh, I imagine it was quite a different culture coming from uh, LaGrange and, and coming into the Air Force. Was What was some of the biggest things that you saw that was culturally different uh, from coming from Eastern North Carolina to... <laughs> To, to come into the, you know, the big old Air Force? You know, I'm going to say this. There were a lot of things that were the same because um, the yes ma'am, no ma'am, the, the respect and stuff that you pay or give to people, intentional respect that you do when you preference. Um, that's how I was reared um, coming up. That was the foundation I grew upon. So it, when I transitioned into the military, it wasn't really a big leap for me. Um, it was natural for me. Uh, my uh, family, my parents are stern in a way, but still loving. Right. Um, but you I have to earn that. it. You have to earn it. You have to respect them and, and do what you're supposed to do. And you'll see a little yield on the back end. And so I see the same thing when I came into the Air Force. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I get that 100%. Um, yeah, I, I knew what kind of to expect in the military. But being raised in North Carolina, and my family is not from there, uh, but... Uh, my mother was very quick to adapt to the culture around her. Mm. And uh, that's actually how we found out we were from the same area a little bit. I started yes mamming a lot. Right. <laughs> and you, you were like, oh, we don't need to do that for the interview. And I was like, no, like, I'm sorry. That's just how I was raised. And she was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, that, that's actually pretty, that was pretty awesome. That was a pretty good moment we had today earlier in the pre-interview. Rafi, what you got for us today, sir? All right, let's kick it off with what the definition of microaggressions are. Now, I'm going to simplify the definition a little bit so I don't give you guys a whole textbook and take up the whole podcast. But we're going to be talking about it's the very subtle aggressions that people use against another person. Um, and it, it causes them to have a negative feeling or a negative aspect to it. Uh, so with that, like we'll give, it, we'll give you a quick example. Um, one of these can be when you have multiple people in a conversation and purposely ignoring someone in the, conversa in the conversation or um, uh, not acknowledging the other person's presence. Uh, like when someone comes in and you have that circle group of circle of people that you guys are talking to and that person comes up to the group and you, you break away or you just, you close the group around them. That is a form of, of microaggression. Uh, another one can be as simply as uh, when someone is in the middle mid sentence, you talk over them. Uh, that is a form of microaggression. And I'll give you guys more as you guys have your conversation. But I believe we have a story we're going to hear, so let's get into that. Sure. So, Erica, any uh, like stories uh, that you can think of off the top of your head about microaggressions that you've observed in the past? Um. Yeah. I, there's so many. Um. They're not really long stories. They're just um, conversations that happen throughout life. Um, it could be from, I re, okay, so I have one. <laughs> so I remember I went home for Thanksgiving, and um, me and my cousin had, had went out, and she came back, and she looked irritated. And um, I said, well, what's going on with you? And she said, um, that girl at the bar gave me a big compliment. And I said, oh, really? What, what, what did she say? And she said, um, she said, I was beautiful for a black girl. So um, that's, that's just one example. And to some people, that may seem obviously and blatantly wrong, but sometimes it's not as blatant as that, right? And like I said, you know, from where I'm from, um, people may not see anything wrong with that, um, but of course there's something wrong with that. Beauty is beauty. Um, you don't have to put a shade in on it. <laughs> so that, that's one example that comes straight to my mind. 
Yeah, that's a, that's actually called a, a micro insult. It's part of microaggression, and uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we see that actually uh, in the military uh, between the branches. Um, <laughs> you know, you see, you, you you talk to someone in the army, and it may be an Air Force person talking to the army person, and the army comm guy brings up a, a very intelligent um, aspect to what they're trying to do, and you you hear them say. Oh, well, that's pretty smart for someone in the army, you know. Right. And you'll you'll hear comments like that, and that is actually a, a a form of microaggression. And as microaggressions go on, what what they do is is you know the the very subtle they're very subtle, right? But they build up, and that actually builds up and builds up and builds up and becomes a very uh, negative aspect to to why we have so many people who end up becoming disengaged from the workplace, and we're trying to make them more engaged. Um, and and that could be it. That could, if you're having an, an an employee or any any human out there, as Clyde likes to say, <laughs> um, uh, if you if you do have them and you're trying to figure out well what's going on, they might be getting hit by some of these microaggressions. And it, it, it's very subtle. It could be very very. Uh, it could be something that you're not even aware to. I think uh, we were talking about one earlier. Clyde, you wanna you wanna sh- share that one with, uh, with with team members and how you might not even notice. Oh. Uh... Yeah, in doing research for today's uh, podcast, one of the examples I was looking at, I identified that I do immediately. Like, it's something that I do daily and I don't mean to. And I'm glad that I read about it because now I'm aware of it. Um, I've got about 10 folks in my work center. And usually when I walk in, lots of times I don't say hi. Sometimes I say hi or hi everybody. But they're, um, or I'm just trying to get straight to the office to take care of something. But there's also lots of times where there's eight people in the room and I only see like one or two people looking up and I only say hi to them. And it's continually or continuous, like many times it's the same couple of people that are looking up when I walk in the room and I'm not acknowledging the rest of the people in there or anybody in there. And sometimes and I had no ill will or intent on any of that, but it dawned on me those micro that it's a microaggression and like. How hard is it for you just to walk into a room that you work and people that you see every single day and say, hi, Tom. Hi, Beth. Hi, Trini. Hi, Felicia. Like, hi, everybody. How are you today? Uh, uh, It's not. It's not that hard at all. Uh, And and it's not that hard to educate yourself on these matters either. It's Sometimes it's just a simple Google click away. So, um, yeah, that's my example. And so, like, now I'm very much – I'm looking forward to Monday now. So, like, Monday (laughs) when I walk in the office, I can say – uh, single everybody out and say good morning and, and how are you doing and how was your weekend and, and make it a point in my brain because I do value everybody in my office. I just didn't take the time to think. Now I'm probably going to get a couple of weird looks from some of the folks that are typically just so focused on their computers or their on their work that I don't usually bother them because I feel like I'm bothering them. But what I am doing is showing that I value them just as much as I value everybody else on the team. Um, by by taking the simple 15 seconds to say hi how are you how's your day how was your weekend um, and then moving on to the next workstation and saying the same thing like I'm here it's Monday let's start this week out right I'm here it's the next day let's start this day out right it's not that hard but it's the small things like that I again I was unaware and as soon as I was aware well, well let's make the office better let's 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 try to break down some of these these walls that exist uh, that it's just unconscious and unrecognized that you didn't know we're there. Yeah, that's a, so what that is, is those are called micro-affirmations. And what those are, those are actually usually a good thing. It's basically, think of them as like minor, minor compliments. But they can be 
viewed as a bad thing and we're talking about it becomes a microaggression when you're when you're ignoring all the other people so think about your workplaces right like you're you're leading a team or you're leading leading a group of people and everyone is contributing to a project but you constantly go up and you only give praise to one member and all the other members see that that could end up actually becoming what's known as a microaggression to them because now they're seeing as hey we're doing all the work too but we're not getting any credit we're not we're not getting any of this and then another form of microaggression of course is taking credit for someone else's work um, and for stealing credit like uh, and not not presenting that credit when you give when you're given the opportunity so you know always make sure you you address your team because um, if you do something in a team team aspect and you take the credit and you don't you don't take the time to to mention them, you can actually uh, be committing a, a microaggression towards them, and those things do add up. Uh, we had actually a famous a famous actor that that was called out on it. I won't, I won't say his name, but <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was definitely. It's, you can look that one up, and, and for our viewers out there, if you just type in "famous actor called out on not not supporting team," it'll, it'll pop up. Uh, just a little little reminder of that <laughs> one. Um, do you have any other uh, stories or instances that you can think of? Um, oh, well, yes, I do. <laughs> you know, I was thinking I, I didn't, but they're, they're coming to me gradually. Um, so um, I used to, well, I don't want to put any location. So one day, um, <laughs> this this uh, girl was having a conversation with me, and uh, we was at work. Um, this is civilian world, and I worked in a restaurant. And um, she said, you remind me of this movie I saw. And I said, really? And I was like, okay, so what was going on in this movie? And she was like, um, this guy had a job interview over the phone. And I said, okay. And he made it to the next level, and he showed up for the face-to-face -face interview. And I said, okay. And she said when he showed up, the guy who was hiring was completely um, surprised because he didn't think the guy that he was talking to on the phone was the guy that he was going to meet. Okay. I said, well, what's that got to do with me? And she was like, you don't sound like you look. Yeah, that, that, that is that is, that is one of the micro uh, so. Right. So, you know, I asked her, you know, what does that mean? And, uh, you know, I think when you start to question people, they start to understand maybe what they said is not something you should say. And they try to flip it into a compliment. Or I'm, I'm just saying that you speak, you speak well. That's all I'm saying, you know. Um, I don't know what someone who speaks well looks like in your mind. Um, but that that's, that's another example. Right. Right. Uh, the micro insults, uh, there's there's times uh, also, like I've been guilty of it myself um, what, when I've looked at um, junior peers. Uh, I've said things like, oh, now you get to feel like what it's like to be a real flight chief. Uh, <laughs> like, terrible thing to say, right? And not thinking anything about it. I'm joking. I'm clowning with, with the guy thinking that I know him pretty well. But, um, yeah, hey, you know, come to find out later, like, that really hurt the guy. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, you know, I was playing, um, and I, I apologized profusely once I found out, um, and I, I wanted to make it right, but I, I was I was being playful. And, and kind of like how you were bringing up, like, they said it, did, did they understand what they were saying? Probably not. Like, I like to think most humans are decent people, and if they do something wrong, it's because they don't know. I, I try to correct it myself the most but mm -hmm. like when i see it going around I, I try to do the same thing and you come off as somebody that like would internalize but may possibly do the same thing have you ever 
had the experience where you had to just kind of inform someone like, hey, that, that kind of hurt my feelings. Oh, it didn't hurt my feelings. Or it could come <laughs> off as like, you, yeah. you know what I mean? So like, so when I was um, coming coming up, I, I only knew what was around me. I hadn't like been outside the country or anything like that. And um, some of the stuff I really kind of thought was normal until I started traveling and stuff like that. And I go back home and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> um, but sometimes I will walk away from a conversation and I would think of all the things I should have said and it would bother me. Yes, ma'am. So I got to the point where I would address it. I, ha- I have to address it. And the best way I think you can address it is, especially if you know that person has no ill will, right? Um, I just ask them a question because I don't want to assume either. Like, what did you mean by that? And most of the time when you ask somebody that and they have to think about it, they already know it it was wrong, right? Um, So I try to, you know, smile about it, laugh about it, and and say, now, hold on now, I know you ain't, you know. And they'll say, no, 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 I didn't mean it that way, blah, 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 blah. But I think it's all about the approach. Address it. Don't take that stuff home because that stuff can grow inside of you and turn into something else, and you don't want that. And you may miss an opportunity to open someone's eyes to something. Um, so so I learned early on, if someone says something to me, I, I don't take it home. I go ahead and, and bring it up to them. But I try to do it in a way um, that is open for communication. Right. I think that's probably one of the best things. That's that's what I've learned over the years myself. The best way to do it is address it. Address it with the individual. Discuss, like, uh exactly how like your perspective your perception of it and and do it calmly and say like i know that's not what you were maybe not your intent but like how do you feel about that like if i was to tell you that's 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 how that statement sounded to me or that's how someone could perceive that statement Mm -hmm. like how do you feel about that um it's worked out pretty well for me at this point i haven't really mastered it a hundred percent up until like about the last six to 12 months where I'm like, Hey, that might, that was a backhanded compliment. (laughs) I I know you didn't mean it that way. Right. That that was a, that was insulted. Like if you stop and think about what you just said and and, yeah, almost every single time, like, Oh, I really didn't mean it like that. Uh It's a lot of learned and unlearning behavior that you know a lot of us have grown up with and a lot of us have been exposed to for years mm-hmm. um and, and we're all learning like i am no angel at all like i i mess up all the time i do prefer when when i say something and and rafi looks at me and goes hey maybe that wasn't a good thing to say maybe you need to think of it this way and i and i think i think it's respectable by most people or respected by most people when you do that and just very calmly, like, hey, this I, I didn't like this, or I didn't think this was right. Mm-hmm. Um, Rock, you got anything? I, I know there's been plenty of times where you and I have interacted, and, and I've said something to you, or you've said something to me about, like, uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know how I feel about how you said that, or how that was worded or phrased. Yeah, so um, you, what you guys are touching on is, is before we get into a, a quick story, but what you guys are touching on is actually from the book, uh, it's, it's addressed in the book. It's called Think Again. It's from Adam Grant. And uh, he, t- he talks about rethinking what you think you know, right? So everyone thinks that their, their norms are, are how things are, but then you've you got to take a step back and you rethink what you think you know. And there's a great, uh, there's a great quote in there that he talks about uh, Daryl Davis. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Daryl Davis is, he's a, uh, 
He's a he's a musician, and uh, he's actually converted over 200 members of the uh, KKK uh, to give up their 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 robes and uh, stop being a member of the Klan. Um, so so that's some background on him. But one of the things he does is exactly what you guys are talking about. It's a strategy, right? So mm-hmm. when he's dealing with these aggressions and and uh, and, and and these types of attacks, uh, there's a story about him, and he's driving down the road. And he's actually in a car and with, with a rank, ranking member of the clan, and uh, they call him the, a, a cyclops. And he's de- driving down this road, a road, and he sees a a black person walking down um, the street, and he says, "Oh, there goes a another murderer." Mm-hmm. And and Daryl Davis actually does exactly what you guys are telling our listeners to do: is he questions what's the logic behind that. And then he plants the seed of doubt, and that's what, that's what's very important. So what you want to do is plant that seed of doubt. So what he, what he does is he explains to them, and and he explains like, oh well, all these all these uh, all, all 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 black people, you know, you know, are are committing all these murders, and he goes on and starts saying stuff like that. Well, then what Daryl Davis does is like, really, well, can you tell me any black people that have committed these murders and that are serial killers? And the the psychops couldn't name one, right, in this story. And then what ends up happening? is Daryl Davis says, well, and he goes down the list of all the white people who have committed serial murders. They were serial killers. And then he says, well, I guess all white people must be serial killers. And then the Cyclops, you know, he gets very frustrated, and then they have a very quiet drive home. And then later on, the Cyclops actually calls him, and he says, I thought about what you said, mm-hmm. and I realized what I said was wrong. Like, it made no sense. And then actually what ends up happening is Daryl Davis, actually, he gives up his robes, and he, that, that Cyclops ends up uh, quitting, quitting the plan. It's, like, it's actually a great story if you guys want to hear it. Um, I believe he, he talked about it in one of his TED Talks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for personal, personal stories for me, uh, what I normally see is, is more or less on the enlisted side um, of things. And what I, what I normally see is people always underestimate what what we are and and our our folks so that we'll we'll get into a little bit of education right um and and i'll bring up uh two 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 things uh about this person that i'm going to talk about um so she she is a black she's black and she uh she she is an airman in security forces and um obviously she's a female and uh she experienced this issue in the medical world where she was having an issue and and you're a nurse so um, I'm not sure if you ever seen this in, in in the Air Force, but she this is more more related to what she was going through at that certain base. And she goes to medical, and she she's actually starting to black out. Um, so she's having these issues where she sometimes she just blacks out. And then she she tells me she goes to medical, and she explained out her entire issue, and was given an answer that was almost similar to saying it's all in your head, mm. you know. And it was like she wasn't being taken seriously. And those are microaggressions that we see when it comes to gender, um, and and also it can also be because of race um, that we see, and that brings me into something that I want to kind of touch on a little bit is uh, unfortunately, when it comes to microaggressions, there there is a there is a demographic that is targeted a lot, and it's two of them, and you actually hold both the demographics. So you're, you're you're black, and then you're also a female. Yes. Um, so. So that that's something that we see a lot um, in the world, and one of the things that we see a lot is is business meetings, right? So in the business world, one of the biggest complaints that we see is women will bring up an idea in a meeting. It could be anything. In in in, in the Air Force, we call them staff meetings. It could be 
you know, uh, a meeting between a CFO on the on the business side. It could be uh, for those of you who are more used to corporations. It could be you know with your executives and directors, and then for for you company uh, people out there, it'll be more with your managers, right? Um, so when you when you're having these meetings, um, a female will bring up an idea, and and they'll they'll lay out their idea, and then they'll get attacked with all these microaggressions against that idea. And then what will end up happening is as the meeting progresses, someone will bring up the same idea, maybe in a little bit of different context, but they'll bring up the same idea. And then they're, they're met with micro affirmations. Mm -hmm. And it, we hear it a lot. Um, we hear it a lot in our studies and we hear it a lot from the business world. So I'll, I'll leave it with that. And, you know, do you have any experiences like that? Do you have anything that... I do. Yeah, perfect. I do, I do want to say um, thank you for giving the example that you gave when you were talking about um, the uh, lady in security forces in healthcare. Um, there's tons of research. I was trying to pull it up just now, but to reference it, tons of research out there uh, that talks about black women, and they're less likely to be believed um, when it comes to uh, mental health and pain and things of that nature. And the, they have the highest, um, what you call it, uh, infant mental, um, mortality rates and things of that nature. Um, and it all stems around believability, um, not believing such things. Um, so the question is, okay, yes. One thing that I have learned, oh, I got a good example. Oh, I'm excited for this one. This it just popped in my mind. <laughs> I see your smile. I'm trying to figure out how I want to say it. Okay. Okay. I was in a course, right? And in the course, it was um, a mixture of people, but it was it was two two black women, and I actually knew the lady, and we used to have all kinds of discussions in this course. And one day, I pulled her aside, and I had a conversation with her, and I said, "Everything you say, I agree with it, right? Um, but let me tell you, based off our audience, um, how it may be perceived." Um, so part of this course, we did peer reviews and what unbeknownst to people, they didn't know that these peer reviews were not going to be anonymous. So everybody said whatever their heart wanted them to say. And when the results came back out, it had everybody names attached to it. So they said all kinds of things about her that was very stereotypical, um, aggressive, um, chip on her shoulder, blah, blah, blah. And she said, what did they say about you? And um, I said, not that. <laughs> they didn't say those things. And what I tried to tell her is everybody has to understand potentially how the world views them, right? Um, and then it's what are you going to do with that, right? So whenever I go into a room, I understand my audience. The onus is on me at that time um, to navigate it the best way based off my audience right so um i've been i'm 34 years old and i've understand and i've learned day after day year after year and so therefore when i go into a room i understand my audience i try to understand my audience more than they understand me because if i understand them i know how to communicate to them and with them now something like this what you guys are doing is is great because we are having the conversation, which many people don't want to have. A lot of people 
um, need to catch up, grow, educate, excuse me, we all do, right? But in the meantime, what are you going to do when you sit in a room and somebody um, isn't listening to what you're saying? You have to learn your audience and you have to figure out the best way to communicate and get your point across. So that's what I've learned to do. And it, it took over how? Took years. So, and not saying that I'm, I'm great at it, but that's one thing I understand because if you walk into a room and you don't have that understanding, you're going to be taken aback when it happens. Um, but if you're already prepared for it and you walk into a room, I think your response will be different when, it, when or if it happens. Not to say that it happens to me often because it doesn't. Yep. Uh, so when that when that stuff is happening, what you're what you're talking about right there, and I like how you said uh, a lot of you brought up the word aggress aggressive, right? So women are often when they're when they're asserting themselves, kind of like how a male a, a male now <laughs> a male will assert, assert themselves. Um, what they're act, what what the perception is that even though someone else is doing the exact same thing, that's the opposite gender. The perception is that they are aggressive. Right, so that's that's the that's the stereotype that that ends up being assigned, and we see that a lot, and even in the in the in the business world, and there's there's actually a current study going on um, about uh, uh, Asian Americans as well um, in in American business, and and one of the things that's popping up is is how their evaluations are being written, and they're seeing terms being used a lot more with them. And like data and, and data analysis, and, and you see a lot of these stereotypes being assigned to the evaluation. So it's something to be con uh, aware of. And then you won't see the word lead or led pop up um, in, in the business world when that when that comes up uh, with what you were bringing up. But I do want to bring up a study, and I'm going to just bring it up to you guys and, and let you guys have this, this conversation. So there's a study that was done years ago. Um, it's called, it's called uh, Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes, right? And uh, and basically, what they do is, and I see I see from your faces, you guys know the study. This so Miss Jan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So so what she did, and it's the power of influence, and I want you guys to think about how your actions with these microaggressions end up causing years of this stuff to continue on. As our previous episode, we were talking about climate. Well, climate is all it, all, all influence, and a lot of it is a lot about your peer influence and your 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 people. Um, so when you're what blue eyes brown eyes does, and I'll I'll uh, I'll keep it short because it seems like you guys are gonna have a good conversation about it. But uh, essentially, the, uh, imagine a school teacher. She took her whole class and she said, "Everyone with blue eyes, uh, I want you to stand on this side of the room, and everyone with brown eyes, I want you to stand on this side of the room." And she did it for two days. And what she did is the first day she told oh, everyone with blue eyes uh, or one color eyes, she said, "You guys are are the best, and you guys are better than than everyone with the brown eyes." And she said, she, she said, you guys can have a longer recess. You guys can go out and play more, and 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 then, and you guys are better. And the kids were excited, and they they actually went out and, and they did all that. And then they started treating the the kids with brown eyes terribly. They started treating them like they were less than them. They were lesser people than them. And then the next day, she switched it, and she said, all right, like today, all the brown eyed kids are better than all the blue eyed kids. And you guys are going to go out and have a longer recess, and you're going to enjoy all all the same privileges that 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 the other kids had the day before. And what was surprising about the study, and I think was actually pretty fascinating, is even though those kids were treated terribly due to the result of this, they still treated those other kids bad. They mm -hmm. they they re, 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 reciprocated 
that treatment back to them. And it, when 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 it was done, there was there was multiple uh, things that were looked at, and the reasons why uh, they did it weren't because of of them trying to treat them bad because uh, they of what they did to them. It was because they were told they were better than that person, and they believed that stereotype that they were better than that person, and they started throwing in all these microaggressions. So. Anyways, that is a very, very, very uh, s- summarized version of that of that study. And there's a lot to to that study. So if you guys get the chance, and I want all our listeners to to help educate yourself and, and take a look at that study, you will act. I think you guys will be surprised with this study. It's very good. But um, I'll let you guys get into this conversation here with that. Can I add something to that? Oh yeah. Um, she also did it with adults, um, which is mind blowing that she actually did that. Uh, she went to college campuses and some um, organizations brought her out, um, not just here overseas, and to, um, it's documented uh, via um, YouTube. And um, she brought these adults in the room and she did the same thing she did with those children. And to see it fall into place is um, amazing um, that even though they know it's an experiment, how they trickle down into that same um uh, what would you say, pattern? Right. And so I I read Brennan's Blue Eyes a, a couple of articles on it in the past. I haven't, I'm, I'm really rusty on it because it's been years since I read it. But uh, there's there's also a, same, a similar study that was done, I, I don't know exactly where, and I can't qualify this, but they had students as inmates and prison guards. That so is very the Stanford similar. The prison Stanford, Yes, that's experiment. it, the Stanford prison. And I've and I read about that a couple of times as well. But it's it's just, I, I, I'm trying to think how I attribute this, but like idea you have to take from this, mm-hmm. everybody is important, right? Everybody's ideas and perspectives. There's not anybody that's better than anybody else. And when you think that way, the, the studies that... Both all the cases I looked at, when you think that way, all you're doing is um, is holding things or, or holding someone else back. Um, uh, there's a lot of my roommate. I so I'm geographically separated from my family right now, uh, and I have a and I stay up here duty days. Uh, I go home every other weekend um, to be with my family. But my roommate up here, uh, here uh, we talk a lot about building each other up mm-hmm. instead of saying all like. When we go to the gym, oh, I'm lifting more than you, or you know, oh, yeah, look at look at that leg press. I just beat you on leg press. You got a bigger bicep, but I got I got a bigger quad. No, instead of that, like we praise each other instead. Like there's not, he's not better than I am, and I'm not better than he is. We're both great people, and that that's my when I read those studies, it just to me that's a a positive affirmation on my thought process on we're all equal. Like we, we're all great people. There's nobody that's better than anybody. Um, and it's reinforcement for me to try to look around. And yes, I, I make silly little insults and jokes with my friends and stuff. But when it comes down to it, I take the time to tell people I appreciate them and, and what, what's up with them and, and encourage them to continue to do what they're passionate about. I, I got winded on that one. So, uh, uh, Erica, I, I don't know what your thoughts on the, on the whole brown eye, blue eyes or the, uh, the Stanford prison study. <laughs> I love all this stuff. So <laughs> I love... Uh... Uh, documentary that's like my favorite thing um history uh so the brown eyed blue eyes you 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 explain that very well um just adding to that they also did like a, a doll experiment um the interesting thing about the stanford 
prison experiment is who, how they decided who was going to be the guards and who were going to be the prisoners. Oh, so yeah, no, I forgot about that. Go ahead, please. Together, we a team. So, okay. <laughs> um, so they did interviews, and they they tend to pick like if you were, if they presume that you were like a popular person, right? They put those people as like the prisoners and the people who may not have been not so popular or to themselves quiet. Um, how they how they would describe as um, passive. Right. They put those people as the officers or the guards. Right. Um, and it did not take long for them to um, love the authority and the power that they were given and to start abusing it. Right. So, which so yeah. which also kind of makes you think of some other aspects to take as a leader, uh, whether it be a staff sergeant or a senior NCO or an officer or CGO, FGO, something, something else to think of. Like, <laughs> stop and think about what you're doing with, with your people. You, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was one of the most interesting things to me. There was... I forgot the exact subject and I might be off, but the, the, uh, the person that they had was like such a timid person. And, and, um, when they were doing the interviews, like just very closed off the way that they held themselves in the interview within, I forgot how long the study, but, but like within the first part of that study, as soon as they started taking advantage of that authority and how terrible they became to the, to the prisoners, Mm -hmm. um, in it. Yeah. It's just something more food for thought per se. I like, if you've got some authority, like check yourself every once in a while, possibly. Like think think about what you're doing. We're all humans. Again, like I'm a mass sergeant and I've got tons of subordinates, but we're all human. Like, right. and, and we're all here to build each other and and for for the mission to go on, for for us to become a better society uh, throughout the world, regardless of a uniform. Like I said, a whole another interesting idea uh, on the matter. I, I don't know what you, you have to add for that, Erica. Uh, perfectly said yeah oh, thank you very much ma'am <laughs> all right let me let me lead you guys into uh the next part of the discussion so we're talking about the we we covered the how right and 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 the why people do this i want to give you guys one thing and it will go into um what to do right when you're when you're dealing with this and how to address it um but one of the what you guys are bringing up right now when you're talking about the study with the prison guards um, is it's an an authority thing, and I'm going to give you another study. There is another study out there, and you can find uh, more information about this study through a, a book I read. It's called Influence: The Power of Persuasion. And when you guys when you guys read that book, and I think you guys would like it, it's it's all covering um, what persuades people. And one of the things that that persuades people is when they see someone in an authority manner or someone in an authority position that they perceive as an authoritative position. Um, doing something or saying to do something, and they will actually go out of the way to protect the actions of that person, even though they know it was wrong. So uh, in the form of microaggressions, if someone who is in these positions, in these leadership roles or these management roles, if, if they are performing these microaggressions, the truth is they are more likely to get away with them um, simply because people are more likely to protect them for this. But some steps to of how to get away from it and oh by the way the study was a basically a researcher would would give students a a chance to be a part of a research team and all they had to do was ask a question and every time they got they didn't answer the question correctly they would deliver a shock the issue was they didn't know that the person that they were delivering the shock to wasn't actually getting a shock that person was actually Mm -hmm. an actor and every Mm -hmm. time they delivered the shock uh, the person would would act like they're they're getting hurt, and every time they get a question wrong, 
it would increase in the amount of shocks they give them. And what was insane is these people knew that it was a research project and the, and they would see the person keep getting these shocks to the point where the person was on the floor and not responding anymore. And they would still listen to the researcher who would say, deliver another shock. And they would do it, even though they knew it was wrong. And then vice versa, the, the, what the researcher did a study to see how they would do it if it was the researcher, the person that, the professor that was actually having them give the shocks to him. And it was almost immediate when the professor said, I can't take it anymore, even though the boss, which was another, which was the actor and perceived as the person who was supposed to be the boss telling him to deliver the shots mm -hmm. or the shocks, would tell the, the uh, student to continue the shocks, they wouldn't listen to him because they perceived that a higher authority was getting hurt and they had to protect them. And even if the researcher was telling them, no, continue on with the experiment, he re they, they refused because they wanted to protect that higher authority. So that's something even more of a reason why you need to pay attention to your microaggressions because it is very difficult in our human nature and even in the business world to address microaggressions. So... With that, I'm going to bring you guys into what do you do when 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 you uh, when you're dealing with microaggression. It's part of our our six our our traits of uh, leadership, uh, uh, diversity, inclusion, leadership, and it's called uh, be, having courage, right? Having the courage to address these. You got to have the courage to actually say something. Um, and the way you address it is has to be professional. It has to be precise, and you have to give them a piece of education, which is another trait of our leadership. Um, uh, our leadership qualities that we're we're looking to build in everyone, so you do have to do that. Um, so let, let's let's get into that real quick. Yeah, thanks, Rafi. So I think we kind of started to talk about this a little bit earlier. Um, I take to heart, very like I I own my mistakes and I, almost to a character flaw, and 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 I beat myself up really badly about these things. It also. Um, well, not about anything. It doesn't have to be microaggressions or about, uh, uh, it, I mean, it could be like I, I wrote a terrible award package for one of my airmen or I didn't, I just, it could be anything. Like when, whenever I, whenever I feel like I fail at something, I am my worst critic. I am absolutely my worst critic. Um, and, and I tend to beat myself up. So I felt like initially when I first started trying to correct people on it, like I internalized that, like, I don't want them to feel like how I feel when I'm told I'm wrong about something or I did something, uh, it doesn't have to be a failure, but like I was wrong. Um, and, and that was hard enough. That was hard enough for me to like jump past that and then start to think about how do I look at people. Uh, my best advice is, is the other hard thing was is I, I had to sit down with a, with an officer one time and say like, I don't think you understand what you're saying. I don't like this. A lot of people are going to take this the wrong way. I think you need to correct the behavior or the, the, the way that you're addressing these things because it's it's not most, a lot of people's perception, to include my own, uh, are not very receptive to that behavior. I did that, <laughs> I, I was a lot, I, I was about to be a tech sergeant a long time ago. Um, and this was with a with a CGO, a, a company grade officer, and he handled it very well. And he said, "I did not understand that. Um, thank you. What like? How do you think I should address this?" He, he, and he he wanted my opinion and and how to how to correct the action and 
to understand that he wasn't aware. That first one, once I did that, it made it a lot easier. And uh, again, um, I've seen it with you, Rafi, talking to me about things with even our uh, attorney. You guys realize this, and and Erica, I'm sure you do it. Like the the toughest time is the first time, especially if it's an authoritative figure in, in, uh, in your life. So tying that into the the authority thing, to say, hey, sir, hey, ma'am, I I don't agree with what you said. I don't agree with this behavior. I've worked with a lot of people throughout my career. Most of the leaders I've had, if I said, hey, can I take a minute to talk to you, ma'am? Hey, may I take it? Can I take a minute to talk to you, sir? Uh, it's kind of personal. Do you have time for me to talk to you about this right now, or can I schedule a time? That, and most of the time, they have time right then, and they say yes. And I say, may I please close the door and, and address you, kind of frankly, like I'm going to be polite, but I need to talk to you about this. Like this is bugging me. Almost every single leader I've ever had that I've done that with sat down, listened, and asked how they could do it better next time or how could they address it differently. I think a lot of people need to know that. that, And I've done that in my personal life as well. Like People need to know that. All you need to do is just calmly tell somebody, I don't like this. As far as this topic goes, obviously that doesn't work for everything in life, but as, as far as like... Um, perceptions and ideas and, and microaggressions, un- unrecognized bias things. Like if you just simply take somebody to the side and speak calmly and be like, "Hey, this is why I wouldn't, I didn't like this, or this is why somebody might not like this." I appreciate it every time somebody calls me on my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I every single time, and I'm like, you know, I I try not to beat myself up as much as I used to, and I usually don't now, but. Like that's that's the hardest part is addressing it. But once you do it one time and you realize it's not that bad, and most humans are receptive to the idea, of like, oh, let's talk calmly and let's talk about this idea and perception that you have, and and let's see where we can come to an agreement or come to a disagreement, but a civil disagreement, or and maybe you learn something as well. Maybe you you find out something that your perception of what they said was completely off base, and it was your own uh, bias. Uh, your your own learned things that that's that's my input on it like that's the toughest part just you, you got to bring it up yeah yeah it, and, and depending on your environment um it can be easier it can be harder to do it depending on the person too right um i know uh for me what has been made it easier is if i want to address something with someone i'll ask a question you know like I try to make the question as natural as possible. You know what I mean? Like, like if they just set a speech and we're off the side, I may just ask ask them a question about something that they spoke about that may be the concerning thing. Um, you know, just to unpack, you know, what, where the thought was going. Because I could be wrong. You never know, right? So before before I start going down that lane, that awkward lane, you know, that people don't want to have that conversation, I want to make sure that I'm understanding you correctly, right? So um, most of the time, though, like um, we started talking early, mentioning early in the conversation, you start asking people questions and they start to reflect on what they said. Um, The audience and everything starts to come together. They'll draw their own conclusion and the conversation will flow out a little bit more naturally. Right. Um, And also one thing I've learned to do is um, when when you mention feelings, I'm very hesitant to use that word for myself 
as a lady because yeah. we are um, that's why when you said it you know I was like oh feelings you know I tr- I'm, I'm very careful about the type of words I use because that that is something that when they say we're emotional right right so <laughs> I try to be very objective uh, whenever I'm communicating uh, with people and whenever especially if it's, it has to do with the uniform I make it about uh, not how I feel about in that situation or in that moment but the person who was communicating as a leader because we're all leaders as a leader how that can be perceived to the people that they want to follow them right right big picture um so i'm like after i ask them a question be like you know this is what i'm hearing this is why it's good to kind of try to establish relationships so you can kind of be a little bit more flexible in the conversation um this is what i'm hearing and um a b c d e f g um but yes yeah, 100%. Feelings might not have been the, the best word there. No, and, no, no, no. On the, on the flip side, um, and open discussion, like, that's not a word that I would have used five years ago either, right. especially not as a male. <laughs> like, you know, it, there was a lot of points in my life growing up, like, your feelings, yeah. you're in the military. Like, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, I, I understand that from the opposite perception, but I also have been a witness to, like, Exactly what you said about the tying in feelings with females as well. Uh, so, um, yeah, I've been around for a while. Like, it's terrible perceptions. Uh, again, things well, that need to be taught. Exactly. And you know who else told me that? My nursing instructor told me that. Wow. I told her one day, um, we were doing clinicals, and I don't know if it was IVs or something. I told her I felt uncomfortable. And I will stand by this. Um, I actually agree with her. She said, are, are you competent? Or do you feel, you know what I mean? So she kind of changed my mindset about it. So whenever I'm communicating with people, I want them to to understand that um, what I'm trying to relate to them is is real. And I don't want them in their head to minimize it as this is how this is how Erica feels. You know what I mean? I want to say I want to communicate to them that what you said is very real. And it's not just because I feel that way. It's because. It's wrong <laughs> type thing, you know? Right. Excellent. Yes, ma'am. So what you guys are getting into is, is kind of similar to climate and culture, right? And one of the things that's a microaggression in that is your body language. And that, that says a lot about what you're saying. So in the law enforcement world, one of the things that we <laughs> kind of learn um, is we I watch your body language. So if, when I'm doing an interview of someone, uh, I like to see their whole body when I'm talking to them. So if we're sitting, I like to see their whole body because your upper body might be telling me something, but your lower body might be telling you, telling you, telling me something else. And I won't go, I won't dive too deep into that because that's not what this is about. But I do want to point out something that uh, Chief Witherspoon told me before she left. And I thought it was kind of, kind of cool. She's, so she's a retired chief now, but she's from Philly. And one of the things she talked about was the comfort stance in Philly for most uh, black females. And mm-hmm. what it is, is they actually will cross their hands. They'll stand they'll stand with their hands crossed across their chest. And then they'll give you your ear. And that is their comfort stance and showing you that they are listening to you. Mm-hmm. But what does this actually look like to most people? It seems like I'm ignoring you. Right. And so being aware of other people's culture is a huge part of understanding if they are giving you a microaggression or not. And now with that, 
Um, how do you address some of the microaggressions? Well, there's another chief that I, I, I enjoyed talking to, and he was the ACC chief. And this was a long time ago. He's long retired. Um, and he brought up toxic leadership. And now what toxic leadership, a lot of people think, you know, is a very aggressive leader. Well, most of the time it's not, because if you are a very aggressive leader in the point of where you're attacking your troops and, and calling them names and stuff like that, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a single branch in, in the entire military that in its culture stance like allows that. So if you do have that, there's a, there's an avenue you could go along with that, but inform most, most toxic leaderships that we talk about or that air, airmen, sailors and, and soldiers and all the humans out there, uh, <laughs> like to, like to, uh, uh, contribute that toxic leader is, is someone who's giving off a lot of, uh, microaggressions. And, and if that leader is not approachable, if that leader is really not approachable, um, one of the things that he brought up is go lateral. You, if you if you don't think that the uh, that the it can be addressed and it's not not something that you can address, but go lateral, go go lateral from that chief because peer pressure has so much influence mm-hmm. on on other people. If 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 another mass sergeant tells him, or another, if say it's a mass sergeant, it's a mass sergeant, mass sergeant, and a peer tells him like, hey, I think that you know you should do X Y and Z. There's a big amount of influence between that peer pressure because it's peer to peer. So that is one way, uh, one other tool in your toolbox that you can use um, if you are dealing with this at all levels, at all levels. If a general comes to another general and tells him something, more than likely he's going to listen to it because of the peer pressure between the positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I can speak. Uh, I can speak kind of firsthand on this from personal experience. Um, I was at Ramstein. Uh, I had. Four staff sergeants that worked with me. Uh, I was the raider. Um, I didn't realize I was being a bad supervisor. I don't say bad. I I was doing things that I shouldn't do as a supervisor, as far as um, just being open and available for them. And I I had some personal things going on in my life, and I was not being receptive to them the best that I could. Um, one of them was fairly communicative to one of my peers who was a, a very close friend, still is a pretty good friend of mine, uh, mentor briefly, um, and, and that staff sergeant went to my friend and said, hey, here's what's going on. Um, I don't know how to talk to, to Sergeant Cly. I, I don't feel like he's receptive and listening to us right now. Um, there's a lot of work going on. He seems overstressed, overworked, um, and I don't know how to talk to him, and I don't feel like he's hearing us. My tech sergeant friend at the time said, hey, what are you doing later on? We get out of work. Mm-hmm. You know, hang out for about 30 minutes. We need to talk. And I was like, yeah, sure, sure, buddy. Let's let's go talk. Starts asking me what's going on in my life. You know, I, I tell him, like, it's kind of busy. It's busy work, a lot of family stuff going on. I think it was close to the holidays. We were over in Germany, so there's all kinds of stuff going on around the holidays. And he goes, hey, I wanted to tell you that uh, your staff started talking to me today. And here's what he talked to me about. And I went, oh, that's that's what's going on? He goes, yeah, maybe you need to sit down with your guys and talk to them and see what's going like you're in your you're you're kind of in your own world right now and you're not paying attention to the, your team your team needs you and they need you to be receptive to them and the whole time my team was trying to like talk to me about things that were going on with the office or things in their personal lives and I was so focused on work in my own personal life that I was not paying them the attention but as soon as 
peer to peer happened, mm-hmm. um, it, it clicked really quickly. Like, uh, you know, and of course I did beat myself up a little bit. Like, why didn't I see that? And, and, and this guy, this guy still is a really good supporter of mine, a friend of mine. He's like, man, don't, don't beat yourself up. Go fix it. Right. Have a staff meeting tomorrow. Bring in some donuts. Do whatever you need to do. Go take them out to go get some pretzels and coffee. Um, and sit down and just talk and you guys reconnect. Like, let go of work. Like, is the world going to end tomorrow if you guys don't work in the office for an hour? Well, no. Is the world going to be better if you take an hour and sit down with your subordinates and just discuss life and just... We, the world's not going to end. We need to go do this. Thank you. Thank you for the idea and thank you for coming to me. Yeah, lo and behold, it was one of the best things that could ever happen was the peer-to-peer conversation. And I did sit down with those guys later. Uh, I, I, do you have an example to add to that, Erica? Or? I don't necessarily have an example when it comes to that, but I, I wanted to say to you in your example, um, that's a great example of when life happens and what do you do when it's brought to your attention, right? Some people might have gotten defensive about it, right? But but you assessed it, you took a step back, and then you took action about it. And that is the type of people, that's what you want people to be receptive. You want them to be receptive to um, input um, and not just listen to it, but do something about it. And it seems like you did something about it fairly quick, right? Well, <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. When, when my buddy told me this, I was, immediately I was defensive. Okay. But it was... It, it was my friend, so like it wasn't like I was, but and he's like, no, just stop and think about it. Uh, really good friend, solid friend, mm-hmm. still a big supporter, somebody that that cheers me on and I cheer him on uh, throughout his career, um, even though we're he's on the other side of the world practically. Um, but yeah, I was super defensive. Yeah. But I was defensive with him, and uh, it's communication, right? Mm-hmm. And and he knew he knew how I was going to act, and then he and he. Don't get defensive. Think about it. Don't beat yourself up. Think about mm-hmm. it. What can you do? I take from that surround yourself with people like you had around you. That's going to tell you the truth. That's how you get sharp. Oh yeah. You know. So Agreed. <laughs> you want you want people to tell you the truth and good on that person who who did what they had to do, communicated to the tech sergeant who brought it to you in a way that you were able to receive and that you took and you're sharing with everybody else so they can learn. Uh, without you know going through the whole motion themselves, but um, that that's the big takeaway from that. Oftentimes, people um, are not ready to receive any type of input, and you say you were defensive initially, but you came around, right? So that's all that matters. Right. Yeah. It, it, it also works to have a. It could have been peer to peer, but it also uh, worked that it was a friend that was a peer too. They kind of quickly yeah, that's convenient. You. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly the right phrasing. If it was, if it was to be a peer. Um, like if I was going to go peer to peer, but it was somebody up here that I didn't know that well, yeah. I don't know if I'd be like, Hey, don't get defensive. Calm down. Like, I don't know that I would use those words, uh-huh. you know, with, with them because I, I, I might not know them like that, but yeah, definitely a friend. Don't get defensive. Calm down. I'm here to build you up. What, what do you got for us, Rafi? So there, there is, that brings me into what I'm going to lead you guys into. There's another form of microaggression and we're seeing it in, in, I call it the new age, but it's not really the new age anymore. And it's not really the modern age. But um, it's because we're, we're as teams and all these other platforms come up, but it's email microaggression. <laughs> and you guys, you guys have might have already been exposed to this. But what I'm talking about is basically when when someone just writes you something and it's not like it, 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 it has the microaggressions in the email. Right. 
And um, one of the forms of microaggression is when you don't have the information in a timely manner or you don't have the information at all and you hear the words uh, or you see the words spelled out and usually it comes in the form of email. It's like, well, you should have you, you should have known this. And and you see that a lot. And I, I there is a strategy and it comes from 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 the book uh, Becoming Bulletproof. And I, I like her strategy. Uh, she's a she's a former secret agent. And uh, what she what she tell, tells her, her her followers to, to to do in that situation is what you guys talked about earlier and have them explain it. And what she does is she says, well, how would I have known this? And the reason why she tells you to do that is because when someone says, well, you should have known this mm-hmm. without ever giving you the information, what they're actually telling you is, hey, I messed up. I didn't give you any of the information that you needed to do this task, but I'm going to put all the blame on you. And your response to them is, well, how would I have known this is basically putting it back on them to explain to you how they messed that up. And most of the time you end up getting a long email. This is this, this is true for my experiences. You get a long worded email that is explaining basically nothing. And it's it's filled well, usually with microaggressions towards you. And what the best response to that and this is more for peers so don't do this to to any of your any of your leadership or anyone that will get in get in trouble but mostly if you're dealing with a peer that's doing this to you then the best response to that is just don't reply to it if there's no questions in there there's nothing that's deliverable to them don't reply to them and watch how this happens you'll walk by their office they'll be clicking the refresh button on their email waiting for this response and they will never get it. You will never give them the satisfaction they are looking for for that microaggression. And it build, it starts tearing down their atomic habit that they built for to to do these microaggressions. Because microaggressions, as we talked about earlier, is a form of habits. And it translates from email writing, from how we do our, our perceptions of our stereotypes. All of that is a form of habit that you learn. And you have and you're giving them the opportunity to start rethinking what they're doing because now they're not getting a response from you. And that is that when there's no deliverable, no response, then you're golden. And then it forces them to eventually have to come to you and have that conversation. And that's when you can start using your strategies that we learned today about, about planting that seed of doubt from Daryl Davis. <laughs> I, what do you, what's your take on emails, Erica? Because I, I got, <laughs> look, I have spent years and years of, of uh-huh. navigating e-world, e, uh, sorry, emails right. and, and trying to analyze my tone and how mm. the messages and am I being as clear and concise as possible because I don't want somebody to think I'm angry or I don't want somebody to take this as, all right, what, what are your thoughts on emails? Because we could have a whole episode on email and text messaging and, and emotion and tone in an email, right. uh, um, as well as microaggressions and things that you, you type backhanded in there sometimes and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on email? First, you have to have folders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to have folders. Um, I used to um, stare at a screen like when I'm trying to type an email, especially depending on the audience or if it's going to be like two. 50, 100 people, I would stare at the message, read it over and over, have somebody else read it um, to make sure I try to think that if I was reading the email, how would I see it and what questions would I ask to make sure I include all the information. And um, like people do get snarky. But, you know, I'm the type of person where first I evaluate myself because I could be wrong. You know, I could be wrong. So um, like if someone said you should have known, you know, what the first thing I think to myself is 
should I <laughs> so I'm like, did I miss an email? I'll go through the emails. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll no ask someone doubt. else. You know, <laughs> I very well because it's definitely happened. You know, um, happened yesterday. Well, they didn't say you should have known. Um, and I was like, I think I sent you that. And I was like, okay, let me see. You know, because you could very well be right. And they were right. Um, but I, I checked myself first. And if I get to it where I'm like, no, I don't see how this, how I would have known. And I like what you said. I agree. Ask a question. You know, like, like, where would I have found that information? How would I have known? Um, did you share that? You know, like, did I miss something, right? Um, and, and put it back on them to um, do whatever they're going to do with that, right? Because you're pretty much saying, I have, I would have no way of knowing this information, right? right. Um, but emails, um, I try not to be wordy with emails. I try to say what I'm going to say. If I feel someone is getting snarky or, or getting um, agitated, I may call. And I don't call in a way to say you shouldn't talk this way. I'll say, hey, because sometimes emails can go, of course, days. Right. For one issue. Right. Right. And so sometimes I'll call and I'll say, hey, I know you're busy and everything. We've been talking about this matter for a little bit. I want to know if I can... Um, um, clear up anything that might have been confusing when I sent the email and asking the question. So you like if I feel like it's dragging out, if I feel like somebody is reading it wrong, I'll say, hey, how you doing today? Da, 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 da. I know you are overloaded with emails, but you know that email that I sent you and and I'll just have the the conversation, go and break the ice, let them hear my voice so they can they can they can pick up my tone, they can pick up my vibe, they can pick up my energy. And usually people, uh, they uh, reciprocate the energy that you're giving out. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100% on that. I, I don't know how many times, I, not so much now, like I, I try to just read it as in like I'm reading a book that's without adjectives when I look at emails. But I, <laughs> I <laughs> there was plenty of times uh, in the past where I read it, I'm like, did I do something wrong? Like, right. am I reading this wrong? And, and a, a go-to commonly back then would be like, hey, uh, hey, Rafi, can you come read this email? Tell me what you think. Okay, so I'm just looking at, like, I'm getting caught in my own feelings. Like, I, I got some self-doubt on myself right now. <laughs> like, okay, everything's good? And then if Rafi, like, it, yeah, it, for instance, if it was Rafi, that, and Rafi goes, oh, man, I don't know. Then it's like, uh, okay, can I call this person? Mm. quickly I sure as heck am not gonna fire off a retort emotionally right now back at right. this person so yeah call it let me call the person hey what do you mean by this and 99 times out of 100 it's hey uh yeah I just I'm sorry I guess I phrased it wrong like I just wanted to know if you had this report I could get a copy of mm. oh yeah man I got you sorry I got you yeah <laughs> I just I was wondering why you why you needed to call me at at six eighteen hundred the other night while while I was at dinner for this uh, yeah sorry I okay so you were a little upset with me but got it but it's it's not like doom and gloom end of the world like you know something silly but there's so many times with text messages all kinds of stuff you see that with your regular life relationships you know a, a simple I forgot the question mark at the end of that statement like. That wasn't a statement. That was just a question. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm really sorry. I forgot that question mark because we're about to have a fight um, with, with, you know, friend to friend, spouse to 
spouse, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the thing that I don't like the most about emails. I know that's a completely different topic, but yeah, I, that that's what I got. Hey, Rafi, I'm interested. Uh, you talked about the second email, like how was I supposed to know? And the response usually, typically, being a long email with multiple microaggressions in it and leaving that person hanging. And and I don't mean to put you on the spot like this. Was there research in that study that showed like what ended up happening after making said person who sent emails or, or sent the long microaggression email, like what happened eventually? Yeah, so what, what, what she, the author of that book talks about is basically um, what she's doing is she's sending out, she, she's basically giving you a sense of defense back, right? That's what the whole book is about. It's about becoming bulletproof. So when I'm giving that, it is a form, it is a form of microaggression when you don't respond, right? But, but we got to talk about bandwidth too, right? You are, you are trying to become the most engaged employee that you can be, and you are trying to get your people to become most engaged employees that they can kind of be. And if you, if, by all means, if you want to spend the time and have a keyboard argument, <laughs> go for it. You know, if you want to do that, that, that is, that is your call. But, I would recommend that you find these ways to get them to come to you and then you can have that real person-to-person com- uh, conversation because that, that does build better better uh, influence. Um, one thing I want to bring you guys back to is with email microaggressions. So there, it's the form of how you write thank you on an email. So you usually you'll write out an email, and I've seen this before, and one of the things that they'll write out and some people will do is they'll write thanks in advance. And basically, if you're on the receiving end of that, you're basically telling me that I have no say in this. I, what you're telling me in your email is I'm going to do this and it doesn't matter. And sometimes that is very inappropriate when you're sending it for a request to a peer or to someone higher ranking or someone who's not in your chain of command and you're asking them for something and you put thanks in advance. Is basically you are acknowledging that they're going to agree to this no matter what. And then another one I want to bring in is how you write thank you at the end. So if I put thank you, period. How does that read to you? Thank you. It's pretty much what it is. And if I write thanks with no period, no no exclamation mark, you know, it's it's a matter of thinking about how the re- receiver will will read it. So there's actually a good TED talk on this too. If you just look up how to write an email, uh, and, and she talks about the basics of an email. And if, if you guys want, some, some people don't know this, but it, it, it's great. And she actually covers uh, how to use BCC um, in the best way possible to not to avoid those reply all uh, nightmares that I'm sure a lot of us have been in, where everyone's just replying all, to, and, and that that she gives you strategies on that as well. So I highly encourage everyone to go go listen to that TED talk too. But that is a form of, of uh, microaggression as well. Yeah. Wow, I, I I didn't. That's so the thanks in advance, and I think maybe we might be on the same page of this, like. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to show some kind of appreciation, whatever we're, we're like growing up there in Goldsboro. Like, that's thanks, sweetie. Thanks in advance. You know, thanks. Thank you kindly. Yeah, thank you kindly. Thank <laughs> you very much. Um, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm this was an eye opener to me. Thanks in advance. And, and like, my perspective is like, I was just trying to, like, in case I forget to say it later, hey, thank you in advance. But I didn't think of it the other way around, which is. I just told this person, oh, I expect you to do this flat out, no matter what it is. And I, what I thought was, uh, you know, a kind gesture was actually like a microaggression. And, and I understand that perspective. 
I, I don't. You have thoughts on that, Erica? What do you think about the phrase "per my last email"? <laughs> so, I'll tell you how most most people read it, and it, it, it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like you're shouting at them, um, and it sounds like you're 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 being snarky with it. And that's I think that's a good term. I like that term. Uh, it's the first time I heard. I like it, it too. Uh, yeah. Like like the first time I heard it in a sentence. I've, I've heard it before, but like like someone actually using it. I like it. It's pretty good. <laughs> snarky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that's what it sounds like. It, well, yeah. The, here's the other thing that per our phone conversation, at least if there's an email, I can be like really quick, like oh there was an email. Let me go check and make sure or I, I remember. That. I say but that per our phone conversation, like. Hey, if you want to recap a phone conversation and make an official on the email, let's just talk about, hey, remember earlier when we talked, I, I just wanted to clarify I understood this, you know, but per our phone conversations, can you handle whatever? Okay. Uh, like, right. Wait, wait a minute. So are you telling me per, I like per our phone conversation, that could be take it. I use that. I do use it now. <laughs> well, try, I use it. Try using, I'll, I'll suggest this, try using in a form, in a context that builds inclusion, right? So one, try to refer to them as a team member, if they are a team member or what they are, here, call them a peer. Um, and when you address them. So uh, what I like to do is if, if they are if they are a team member, I'll put team or team member, you know, I'll, I'll let them feel like they're they're included in my team. And two, I'll, I'll put in, in, instead of saying per our phone conversation, I'll put uh, just following up on everything we discussed together, you know, because now you're putting in together, right? Right. You're putting that togetherness in there, and you're putting more inclusive words in there. But per our phone conversation, basically makes it on the receiving end, and you're reading it in an email. And think about it. if I if I gave it to you and I wrote per our per our phone conversation, you are going to give me X, Y, and Z. That's so, not so, so good. Usually, if I well, not usually. That okay, so we all know we want to get some email traffic on certain things, right, right? Right. So if I have a conversation with someone and it needs to be documented, I'll say I'm going to follow this up in an email, right? And let you know. I, I think so that's appropriate. I don't there. blindly say per our phone conversation. The person knows to expect it, and then I let them know I'm going to CC you and I'm going to CC everybody else. Blah 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 blah. Um, whether it be um, I communicated something to one squadron that's going to impact all the squadrons and da da da, da or what, whatever it, whatever it may be. Um, I don't know if I've ever just sent per iPhone conversation to person looking at their email <laughs> and didn't expect it. Um, but usually that is our way to put a knot on it. So there's some type of, um, there's like a, not a hard copy, but you know what I mean? Like a, uh, something to reference. Right. So we have some official thing because we're not all sitting around recording our phone calls right. to bring back up for later. Because sometimes it's best to hash things out over the phone. Right. And then you, you get this nice little pretty list together and now you need to share it with everybody. And so say, hey, you guys weren't present. We had a phone conversation per our phone conversation. These are the items that we discussed and agreed upon. Right. Um. But yeah, I do use that one. We, use that in, <laughs> we actually use that in law enforcement with, with what uh, what you're talking about there. So when you talk to someone in person or over the phone, uh, they are more likely to talk to you. The minute you start putting pen to paper or or you start putting uh, uh, keys on a, on a keyboard, that's when people are a little bit more hesitant and they start thinking about what they're saying and it won't give you the whole information. So I like that Man. you guys use it in the medical field too, because it gives you it gives you that that whole whole story concept of what you're trying to get at. And then we do follow up again with 
writing it all all down in our, our in our police reports and and whatever your agency uh, might use for when you're documenting um, throughout your uh, throughout your career for your master of your arms and and the military police and, and so on like that. Um, so whatever your agency uses, you know, you put that down after after you you have that conversation. Um, but per our email, per our per my prior emails, um, I think a, the best way to do that, and this is opinion, but the best way is to uh, make it sound like where you are following up and in a in a, in a more friendly but professional right um, professional tone. And you have to keep it professional too, because in the end of the day, if you are sending an official email or you are sending a business email to a client or or to to a, uh, a someone you are in contact with, you want to keep it professional because you want to keep that business going. There's no difference from what we do with, with our our members and and our people. You never know where anyone's going to end up, and you never know um, if you are going to do uh, work with that unit that you might be talking to again. So so treating everyone with that respect and being being just a little bit more cognizant. Conscience of, of what you are putting down is, is a big big role in it. And you know what? You could be so wrong because yep. email traffic, um, somebody can reply to what you said and that person may not. A thread can be 13. See below. Right? And everybody who you may see at the top of that may not have been included in all the stuff that occurred. So when you say per your last email, was that person included on that chain? May not have been. You know, right. So um, you, you just whew, you have to be careful with stuff like that. Um, somebody could just be um, could ask you a question when you come back from leave. How many um, how much email do you have in your box? Oh, a ton. Right. You might have 300, 200 or something I, I like that. that on a, on a day on a basis. That's <laughs> how you got to have folders too. you just put them over there. Folders. All kinds but, of folders. But like so, um, you never know their leadership or somebody could come to them, and ask them a question and it needs to be answer because the meeting is going to start in an hour and somebody is looking to you to answer that question because they haven't checked off 300 of their emails and then you say per your last email you know so yeah yeah think of think of this too when you're when you're working through emails um when you get an email when you're sending someone an email as a leader so two things uh you're sending someone an email if you are sending an email don't expect a reply back immediately if what is email? If you think about it, you break it down what an email is, it's electronic mail. So it's going to take some time for someone to reply to that email. If you want an instant answer, use a platform that's more like instant messaging or call the person, text, you know, that will more likely get you an instant answer. But don't get mad at someone for not instantly replying to your email, um, even if you wrote high priority on it. Um, because that is not how email is designed to work, and that that is the norms of our society in the business world. So, so you you, you need to you need to have that understanding if you're looking for you know follow, do some form of follow up because then you might be hitting them with a microaggression. They're like, why didn't you reply to my email? And you have no idea if they have like 300 other emails right. in, in their in their uh, in their in their queue. And then uh, one of the things that that I did want to bring up uh, with this is is you said you could be wrong and that is actually a great point and it, it separates some of our some 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 people uh leaders we have to we have to recognize that we are not going to be right all the time and the difference between a one of the traits that makes you a good leader and a good inclusive leader and and a, and a leader who's who's who could be considered bad 
is your ability to acknowledge that you were wrong on something and you didn't make excuses and throw in the buts or the errs or anything like that. You just acknowledge, hey, you're right. I was wrong. And you move on and you apologize for what you did and you continue on with the team because that builds trust with your team and you build a more inclusive team. There's been plenty of times I admitted I was wrong. Eric, I, I, I get winded sometimes. So I'm, if you got a story first on, on if you want to talk about I humble owning myself up. when it comes to email. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I sure do. And like um, my counterpart, um, we, um, the other exec, we, you know, we bounce off each other constantly. Um, she may ask me a question and I'm like, okay, um, do they CC me on that? You know, you just have to ask these questions back and right. forth because you don't you you don't know and you want to make sure that you have the most up to date information before you respond to something. Um, so I've learned to to humble myself when it comes to to email, and um, I try to keep my inbox under fifteen throughout the day. Yeah, yeah, that's I I commend you on that. So one. <laughs> I yeah the uh, I. This is an interesting thing that you said, Rafi, for the, I, and I know we, we passed this topic just a little bit ago, but the per our conversation, per our, per my last email, you brought up, some, you brought up the, um, the way to address that more properly that, that, um, shows that you're trying to be inclusive. Um, and I forgot the exact phrase already. I was going to write it down. Following up. I just wanted to follow up on the conversation we had earlier, right? Instead. And now, to me, also, that phrasing suggests that you are wanting to have feedback from your, like, you want them to, to, to come and talk to you. You want to, hey, we talked about this on the phone, mm-hmm. um, or hey, we sent this email. I'm letting you know that, like, I'm interested in your feedback. I, like, I want you to be a part of this, and I want your feedback. That, that was my take on it, uh, at least. At least that's how I feel. I don't know if that makes you think any differently or feel differently, but I, I, I really like that. I'm going to keep that in my, uh, in my toolkit for, for the future. Oh, for me? Yeah, I, I don't know what your thoughts on, on that phrase was, but yeah, it, you're asking for feedback if you word it differently other than per my last email. I, w- I want to throw this in there right, real quick if you get Go it. Go ahead. Um, what you said was actually better than, than just following up. Um, you when, If you just put in what you're actually feeling, like, like I am, I am interested in your feedback on this. Okay, that yeah. will be received a lot better than right. <laughs> than just following up. You know, it just depends on the person and and, and understanding the, the person on the other line. You know, um, and and there's great tools out there to help you. Um, there, you know, Grammarly. I anyone who knows how I write, how I think, how I speak, uh, Grammarly is my best friend, and I use it all the time. And and it's funny because you'll see it like make suggestions like this. Like it, it might even suggest like. Hey, you're trying to come off as friendly, and you're coming off as really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It for the for the follow up email. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. there are tools out there for for everyone to use. Um, just be careful when you are using them, especially if it's if, if it's a sensitive email. Don't you know you're, you're you're sending something on the high side? Definitely don't do that. Um, you shouldn't even have that open. But it, it you know if it's a sensitive email, you, you're, you're limited on those tools. But as you practice and um, most 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 people uh, that are pursuing higher education or trying to educate themselves a little bit will end up writing something at some point in time. So if you're writing something personal too, start using those tools out there because they will start giving you good suggestions and you can transfer them over. There is one TED talk that that, that uh, it's not a TED talk, it's a TED ed that you can use for your kids too. It's about how to handle emails 
I like it because it starts making you think about NASA's robot that uh, or satellite that they sent out there, mm-hmm. and basically they launched the satellite up into space and they had it prioritizing prioritizing command. And what what they designed it to do is is more important commands it had to do first. And what they found out is as so many commands came to this robot or this satellite or this machine that was up there, it started getting overwhelmed and it was spending all its time prioritizing what it's going to do next rather than just doing it. So right. what it actually teaches you and is a, is a good tool is when you're doing your, your emails, you know, unless your boss tells you otherwise, um, when you're doing your emails, just start from the top and work your way down. Don't scroll, spend your time prioritizing what email you're going to do first. And if you do that, you'll actually, it helps you. And I use this strategy. It helps me keep my email box down. When I leave at the end of the day, I have nothing left that I need to reply to. Yeah, that's great. If you um, come back, write down (laughs) now. If you come, let's see, how do I? So if you came back from a TDY or leave, or let's say leave, and you had 300 emails, you start from the top or the bottom? No, I actually will start from the top. And the reason why is some of these emails may have been coming in and having replies. So you might have multiple people in that email. So you don't want to my last email, <laughs> see below. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, there's a la- the latest and greatest. And yeah. read all through. And then you just wiped out 12 emails now, in one shot. With that strategy, just keep in mind, I don't go back, going back to what I said, don't expect an instant reply. When As I'm working down my list, if another email comes in that you know, on top, I don't go back and read that email um, and, and start start again from the top. I don't do that. I just work my way down. Um, and, and if I notice that it, I, it, I'm starting to get into the old trends of, of a topic I already commented on, mm-hmm. if I have nothing to comment on that trend, I'll, I'll continue on. Okay. It goes into knowing, too, like when you need to comment, right? So if you're in the two box, if you're sending something to someone that you want to comment on, just be mindful of your email. If you're, if you're sending something and they're not in the two box, that means you don't want them to reply back. So if you're, you know, that's the whole reason when email is set up, um, if, you know, if you use CC, what that stands for is carbon copy. So basically, if you think about the old school way of how we used to write down our letters, is there was a co- carbon copy to, to these. So when you use that CC, that is a carbon copy that basically you're, you, you sent the letter off that mm-hmm. you wanted a reply to, and you're like, hey, here's your courtesy copy. It's a carbon copy. Is what it is. It's basically a copy. They're not going to reply back to a carbon copy. So why would you put them in the CC box if you're expecting a call back? It's just for information. And then the BCC was a third page, and that one came in a different color. And when you handed it to someone, mm-hmm. it basically meant like, hey, here's your here's your copy, but no one else is going to know that you have this copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's that's powerful. It makes world of difference when you read an email and you'd be like, what? Oh, they're not talking to me. <laughs> oh yeah. No doubt. What's even better is when you realize you're all oh, you're in the BCC. They're just trying to keep me in the loop, right. but they don't want people to know I'm in the loop. And they, all right, yeah, that that sometimes puts a smile on my face. Sometimes it puts a oh wow on my face too. But yeah, it's good good tools. Do you got anything you want to add at all, Erica? Or do we have another topic, have another? Rocky? I think I think we're all spent on uh, microaggressions. We could we could probably stay here all day and talk about this guys, oh. but. I'm, I'm having a blast. Sure, I'm pretty sure Erica like, wants to go home. <laughs> yeah. Don't put it on me because hey, I'll sit look. here and talk with you. <laughs> well, I want to go But home. I know it has to end. <laughs> I, I've got, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on two closing questions with you. It's a two-parter. Okay. All right. Number one, is there any, any, any more of your story that you would like to share at all with us in the audience? And then number two, 
we talked about this kind of earlier when we were uh, having our pre-interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talked about you liking podcasts. Is there any kind of podcast you want to recommend or Ooh. or anything like that? Mm. Um, or, or any kind of projects you're working on that you want to talk about? Um, no projects currently. Um, your first question, you said, is there anything about my, my yeah, story? Yeah, about your story, about about your life that you want to share with us before, before we all get out of here and enjoy the rest of our day. Um, day. Sorry. I, I said, like, we're going to die during the rest of our days. <laughs> um, I think I kind of hit on it. So I just want to reiterate um, whatever my experience have been. It's been a journey um, to, to get to where I am today. And I will say um, whenever you are experiencing life, however it is, when you are communicating with people, just have an upfront conversation. Um, be mindful of the words you choose when communicating with people. Um, look at it from if you were on the other side, how you would want someone to communicate something to you because people will get defensive. Nobody wants to be uh, pulled aside and say anything negative, right? So just be mindful of that. Uh, don't take that type of stuff home and let it fester up inside of you um, because someone could be very sincere and genuine in the fact that they did not understand that was wrong or whatever have you. So I would just say I've learned um, oftentimes it's very rare. <laughs> I don't know if it never most of the, all the times that I've communicated something to someone else, um, they received it and it wasn't like it was intentional. Um, so uh, just be mindful of that. Don't don't go home and, and, and let it fer- uh, fester because at the end of the day, you got to come back and more than likely work with these people. Right. Work right. with each other. So don't let that stuff build up in you because you might um, take the opportunity for somebody to grow and, and then they can go and, and lead and do do what they do um so that's that awesome it has been an absolutely wonderful and joyful interview with you today erica i honestly one of the greatest times i've ever had just discussing life inclusiveness and and diversity and and perspective Uh, i absolutely enjoyed you today i enjoyed enjoyed this conversation with you today um I look forward to running into you all over base, and I'm going to check out your podcast probably on the drive home today. Okay. Um, <laughs> awesome. Rafi, what do you got for us? Hey, thank you, everyone, for, for listening in. Um, please join us in for our next episode. It's going to be on informal mentorship. For those of you who don't know what that is, that is the good old boy system. All right. Take care, everyone. Stay tuned, engagers. See you later, humans. Bye. If you liked that episode, please like and subscribe. Also, follow us on Facebook. If you wish to make contact with the JBMDL Diversity and Inclusion Working Group, please email 87abw.cvb.diversityinclusion at us.af.mil.